Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. I want to preach to you a message this morning, if you're taking notes, called The Trouble with Christmas. The Trouble with Christmas. Uh, and I'll read a couple passages of scripture. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. Uh, your traditional Christmas passages here. And so we're going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We'll read a few here. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's good stuff. And then I want to jump to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start on verse 1 here. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where, is the, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I need you to know this morning that when I talk about the trouble with Christmas, I'm not referring to the crowds that you encountered at Target or you're about to encounter at Target after church today. Uh, If you're one of the people who still has shopping to do, I'm not even talking about the Christmas lights that get tangled uh, every year when you pull them out or the Christmas tree with the pre-lit lights that tell you, uh, don't worry, if a bulb goes out, the whole strand isn't going to go out, but then you turn it on and sure enough, just the middle of the tree is out, right? And I don't know what you do with that. You can wrap other lights around it, or maybe you can just put like the nativity in the center of the tree and say, Jesus, be the center of our Christmas. Maybe, maybe you're spiritual like that. I don't know what you do with that, but I'm not talking about that trouble. I'm not talking, even talking about Uncle Bobby who got drunk at the family Christmas party for the last 18 years. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about staying up till 2 a.m. on Christmas Eve, putting together that last gift and, and losing your Christianity in the in the midst of all that. I'm not referring to that. I'm not even referring to that new dog you got leaving leaving you a present under the tree that is no gift at all. But I'm talking about the original story of Christmas. The trouble it caused, the trouble it causes, and the trouble we would be in without Christmas. That's the trouble I want to talk about uh, this morning. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Man, you do a good T-Swift. Good job. 
If you're taking notes today, I'm going to have five points. This is a professional sermon with points. And if you're creatively taking notes, you can draw a star and write one of these points at the end of each point of the star. Wouldn't that be beautiful on like a nice journal notebook where you take your sermon notes? Try that out this morning. The first, uh, the first point I want to talk about this morning is part of the trouble of Christmas is that its presents are often strangely wrapped. Its presents are often strangely wrapped. Anybody like me, you're good at giving gifts, but you're bad at wrapping them? Let me ask you this. How do you think, how did I do on wrapping uh, this week? Did I do pretty good? Oh, wait, no, wait. You can't. Not these. I didn't wrap those. I wrapped this. How's this? Is this pretty good? Sorry, I didn't realize it was hidden. But I want to ask you this morning, if you had to choose between the one I wrapped and the one my fr- the ones my friend Mitch wrapped, which ones would you choose? Good job, Mitch. Huh? You all thought a lady did that, didn't you? No. All right. That's this is 2018. A man can wrap some presents, just not me. Who? Which one would you choose? And some of you are probably thinking I'm going to be humble and take the worst. No, I'm not. This is not that kind of like trick. Okay, I'm just asking because honestly, we usually like things that are presented in nice wrapping, and things that are not, we would be less likely to choose if we had to choose between the two. But I've learned that when God gives you a gift, often it comes wrapped in strange ways. Often it's hard to recognize that there's something good on the inside of it based on the way it's wrapped or the way it appears when God gives it to you. Because that's part of the trouble with Christmas. Um, in verse 19, it's, it says, Joseph was minded to put Mary away secretly. You see, they were engaged to be married. They hadn't, they hadn't lived together. They hadn't come together, as the scripture says, if you know what I'm saying. But he found out um, in, this, in these verses that he was going to get two for one. Okay, he was not just getting Mary, he was also getting a baby inside of Mary if he was to marry her. This, this disturbed him, as I'm sure probably all kinds of thoughts went through his mind. Like, how am I going to explain this to people? And not only that, when this kid grows up to be a teenager, is he going to look at me every day and say, you're not my real dad? Okay, is, am I going to deal with that? Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I want you to just picture this situation because it's very strangely wrapped. If you're in it, and I think we look at the nativity, we think it's beautiful, but if we picture it, I just picture Joseph going to pick up Mary to take her to uh, Bed Bath & Beyond to register for the wedding, and all of a sudden he sees some prenatal vitamins, vitamins in the bathroom on the counter. Mary comes out, uh, you ready to go? Uh, actually, no, girl, I'm ready to have a DTR to define this relationship, because what are those, okay? And, the, and I don't think it's as, as glamorous as we always make it out to be. I think that it probably would be more like that, more, more, more wondering what in the world is going on. Is this from God at all? Because it was wrapped strangely. And Mary would say, you know, you don't understand. It was, it was an angel. And, then he, and I'm sure Joseph said, where does Angelo live, huh? Where's, no, no, not Angelo. It was Gabriel. Oh, now there's a Gabriel too. What in the world is going on? I don't understand this. But he had to be heartbroken. Because this gift was strangely wrapped. On one hand, it was a great honor to think I, that if this is true and this, if this is from God, I get to raise the, the, the son of God in my own home. I get to teach the very one who put together the universe how to hammer a nail and be a carpenter. I get to... Uh, do memory verses with the living word of God, the walking, talking word of God. This is, this is a great honor, something that you would think would be amazing, but he almost didn't want it because it felt like betrayal. 
Have you ever noticed that about something that God's done in your life? Maybe it didn't appear like God in the moment. Maybe you actually thought it was the opposite of that. Maybe this pain that you felt like you actually thought God must not love me because I've been through this pain. Maybe you, you went through something this year and, and you, you wrote it off as a bad thing. Maybe it was a DUI or maybe you lost your job or maybe you didn't get a position that you were hoping for or maybe you even lost a loved one this year and you started to think, God, do you even care? Are you even with me? But I want to encourage you that Christmas teaches us to look at things beyond the wrapping. Look at things beyond what it looks like because what it looks like doesn't always determine what's on the inside of the gift. There's nothing in these boxes, by the way. So just those of you who are like me, and you're probably sitting there wondering right now. But God, he fit into a human form, and he was born into a feeding trough and wrapped in what would be the equivalent to shop cloths. And we think, oh, the nativity is so charming. But can I tell you, the reality is different. It wasn't wrapped the way we wrap it up and create these cute little pictures of nativities today. That's not what it felt like to Joseph and Mary at all. But the horror of the wrapping had nothing to do with what was on the inside of the gift. What was wrapped up in those shop cloths was so valuable. But it didn't appear that way in the moment, I'm sure. And maybe you, like I said, maybe you had a DUI this year or, or you, you had an issue with some kind of substance in your life. And I want to encourage you to know that at the time you might have thought, God, where are you? But maybe that actually happened so you could reevaluate your life choices and say, this is not something I want in my life. And you may look back on that situation and say, that was actually the best thing that ever happened to me because God used it to turn my life around. But in the moment, you thought it was strangely wrapped and you didn't want it. Or maybe... Ladies, maybe you cried your eyes out this year because this guy, he left you and, and, and it didn't work out. But just maybe next year you're going to look back and it won't be cries um, of pain and hurt. It'll be cries of joy because you went from a zero to God's hero. And you're going to look back and say it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me for that person to leave me. But in the moment, it's strangely wrapped and you are hurt by it. Is it possible that you've been taking something as betrayal or hurt that God can actually use for your good? Is it possible this year that you lost that job because you never would have gotten the urge to start that company that God put on your heart years ago and you never got around to doing it until you lost that steady paycheck that you were just earning, but God could never position you where he wanted you until he removed something from you and it was strangely wrapped and you didn't like it, but you wouldn't get to where he's going if you didn't go through what you're going through. You need to know this morning that not everything that hurts you is bad for you. Not everything that hurts you is bad for you. Our God is so sovereign that he can actually take your pain and put it on his payroll and use it for your good. He can take what you're going through and say it doesn't feel good, but it's going to be good because he can turn things around and use it. I heard a coach ask a player one time, he said, are you hurt or are you injured? And the kid said, well, what do you mean? Am I hurt or am I injured? He said, if you're hurt, you can keep playing. But if you're injured, you cannot continue. And I think some of you have been hurt, but you've been thinking of yourself as injured, and God is not finished with you yet, and the game is not over, and that means you can get back up and keep going because you might be hurt, but God is not finished with you, and you're not injured. He's going to use it for your good. He's going to turn it around for your good. It's like when you go to get the, the flu shot. It's, it's a light and momentary affliction, okay? Like the scripture says, and it hurts, and I hate shots. And, but I'm telling you, the purpose of the shot is actually to help you avoid something worse. 
And in the same way, when you go through something, maybe, just maybe, God is actually taking you through something that hurts to help you avoid something that would be much worse. And it's a light and momentary affliction, but, but the weight of glory that comes after is much greater because God can use your pain and put it on his payroll. Some pain protected you, and if you endure the pain, there's something on the inside of that gift that God is trying to get you. But we, we say, ooh, it's trouble. I don't like the way this is wrapped. I don't like the way this feels, and I want to turn it around and use it against God when God is actually saying, I'm for you and not against you. If you would just view what's on the inside of this thing, it's much better than the way it was wrapped. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, conscience but shouts in our pain. And I know from experience, sometimes the only way God can get through to me is through my pain. He has to shout at me through pain because I'm stubborn and I don't like to listen. And what he'll do is he'll remove everything that you've historically leaned on and the thing that you have historically run to so that you'll run to him. That's why he removed that relationship that every time you went through something, you run back to that person and they're not helping you. He will remove that person from your life. That paycheck that's keeping you from everything that God has for you, sometimes he'll remove that job. He'll remove whatever it is, the substance, um, that person that won't call you back, that, that ministry that you've been leaning on and thinking every time that I'm going through something, this is actually what's gonna hold me up. God will remove that thing so that you'll learn to run to him and he's the only thing he's the he's the only thing that's going to hold you up and help you through what you're going through no ministry no person no substance nothing he will take it away and leave you with just him because he cares about you and he wants to see you come after him number two the second point that i think is a trouble with christmas is everyone's invited pastor brent that's the beauty of christmas isn't it Yes, I agree with you there. It is. You know why? Because all walks of life had part in the nativity from the shepherds to the magi or the wise men to, to the angels. Every walk of life had a part in the nativity. They were all welcome. That's beautiful. We love that. I need you to know today that it doesn't matter what you've been through, where, where you came from, what you've done, the mistakes you made, your weaknesses, or what anything else that you've been using as an excuse to convince yourself God doesn't love you. If you are, if you are alive today, I need you to know that every breath that you take God gives you the gives you the opportunity to have and he loves you and he chose you the, the Christmas is for everyone he desires for all of us to know him that's the beautiful charm of Christmas everyone is welcome at the Christmas table see another way to put it is Santa might put you on the naughty list or give you coal but Jesus he loves you no matter what you've been through when you're at your worst God sent his best that's the good news What's the bad news? Why is this so bad? The bad news is everyone's invited. Do you know what that means? That means the people that you don't like, the people that you're mad at, God loves those people too. Because sometimes we can become sub, such like super churched or super Christians. We think that those people that hurt us, God is angry at them as well. He does not like them. I know a bad person when I see them. And that is a bad, me and God don't like that person. No, no. You don't like that person. They're invited into a relationship with Jesus. And so we have to understand that that's part of the trouble of Christmas is it makes us not only consider our goodwill from God to man, that he came to us. It also makes needs a, we need to take a minute and step back and look at our goodwill from man to man. Maybe the best application of this message for you is going to be to call that person that you had unpleasant years or unpleasant 
uh, words with years ago and just have a conversation and just say, you know what, I don't want to be angry about this anymore. There's been years of silence, and if God loved me at my worst, who am I to withhold that same grace from someone else? And how can we sit around with family and give gifts to one another yet because we've received freely from God and withhold giving to someone else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is best put this way. I think uh, the best way I've ever heard it is it's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to try. I'm expecting someone else to die. <laughs> You're like, what? Um, we're not called to hold grudges. We're called to give things to God and, and forgive other people. And the results might not be perfect. You might make a call and that person shuts you down and hangs up on you. But let me ask you this. Shouldn't we try to do what God's calling us to do? Shouldn't we try? Because encounter is a place that's not about building walls. We're about building bridges to people. And so all we can do is our part and try and build a bridge to those who, are, who we have issues with and say, you know what, I don't want to hold on to this any longer. The third thing that's a trouble about Christmas is it's awkward when you call yourself king. It's awkward when you call yourself king. Christmas is all about a king coming into the world. That's a beautiful thing. Jesus, our king, came into the world, born into a manger. But do you ever think about the fact that this kingdom that he came into already had a king? And I don't think it was as glamorous to him as we see it. In Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse 1, this is the real first season of Game of Thrones, people, okay? It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And Herod, he's the king of the Jews, in this time, okay? And now you have these wise men, these magi, going all around town, probably except to the castle where King Herod lives, and asking, where's the king? Does someone know where I could find the king of the Jews? And so I'm sure Herod immediately heard this and calls them in, and, and he says, who are you guys? Oh, we're just some magi, not three people. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We just see three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so we think three. It could have been 300 uh, wise men. But they come, and Herod asks them, well, what are you doing here? And they say, we're searching for the king. And he's like, oh, that's me. Uh, actually, we're looking for like a greater king than you? I don't, sorry. But there's nothing that he can really do because it's interesting. He's, he's a... He's like a puppet king underneath Caesar, right? So he can't do anything. It would start a war uh, between these nations that these men are from and the nation that Caesar, Caesar was over. So they can't really do anything. So Herod's in this pickle and they're, they're looking for a king. But I don't want you to feel bad for Herod because he was a really bad guy. In fact, the, we, we know that he had his wife murdered. Uh, he had his mother-in-law murdered. Some of you are like, eh, that's not that bad. Um, <laughs> his brother-in-law um, and three of his sons. You know why? Because he was afraid they were all trying to take his throne. In fact, uh, we know historically that when he died, he locked up many of the, the people's favorite leaders in, in the nation of Jerusalem at that time so that when he was dying, and at the moment he died, he ordered these men to be put to death so that there would be weeping throughout all of Jerusalem. Not over him, but he just wanted there to be weeping in Jerusalem when he died. So he put these other men to death who people love. He was a bad guy, okay? And like I said, he, could, he couldn't do anything to these magi, these wise men, but he could look for the king of the Jews. And so he said, when you go there, tell me 
um, so I could come and worship him. He was lying. He wanted to kill baby Jesus. I mean, come on. Who wants to kill baby Jesus? This guy was a bad guy, but he could look for Jesus, but he had a decision to make. And we see his decision in the scripture, but he had to decide when, when I have the opportunity, am I going to allow Jesus to be king or am I going to try and keep my throne? And we all have to make that same decision. Because it's awkward to accept Jesus as king if you're going to also be king. And so we often do this though. We say, Jesus is my Lord. I love him. But then I go out and I do what I want every day. And, and I don't really have time to spend with God on a daily basis. I'm very busy. And I'm asking my, I have to ask myself, who is on the throne of my heart? Is this what God desires for me? Or is this what me, King Brent, desires for me? Because we often, we, we have this throne in our heart. I'm going to use this stool as an illustration. All right. I need a volunteer. Zach, you want to come help me? Thanks. Just sit on the stool, okay? Zach is Jesus, all right? I could have used Josh, but I wanted a more accurate representation of Jesus. So I brought, I brought my friend Zach up here <laughs> um, and so he's sitting on this throne Jesus I want you to sit on the throne of my heart but you know what we often do is and we we think Jesus I, I lo- all right let's all right let's just okay this is better is this better this is awkward right is this awkward for you no all right well it's awkward for me Go ahead, have a seat, thank you. But I think we get the picture that we're often asking Jesus to come and take a seat that we're unwilling to give up. And I think Jesus desires to sit on the throne of our heart, but we're always looking for our own throne and what can I do and what can I take with me and what, what am I doing? And it, it's cute, I think, how when, when people pass away, we put things in their coffin, but how many know you can take nothing with you when you die? And it's cute how we sit on the throne of our heart and, and we try and develop our reputation or we try and make a name for ourselves or we try and use our talents to get a platform or we try, it's cute when we try and climb a corporate ladder and it's cute when, when we're trying to prove our value through material possessions. But can I tell you, none of that comes with us. We can only bow our knee now or later to King Jesus and say, you're the Lord over my life, you're my king. I can do it now or I can attempt to build my my kingdom and my throne, and then at the time when I go to see Jesus, I'm going to bow my knee and present everything to Jesus anyways. I can take none of this with me. And so I ask you this morning, have you been making Jesus the king of your life, or have you been trying to sit on your own throne and develop some uh, platform that God has never asked you to develop? Because the truth is, we can become like King Herod and try and um, be king ourselves, and it gets awkward. It's awkward when you call yourself king. But I found out that when we let go of that spotlight and make it all about Jesus, we receive eternity in return. And we receive uh, joy in this life as well. Number four, if you're taking notes, another reason there's trouble with Christmas is compliance is often rewarded with chaos. Compliance is often rewarded with chaos. Let's picture this. Mary is, is visited by an angel, by Gabriel, from God, and, and, and the, the angel says, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. 
Mary, she, I'm sure she didn't understand, but eventually she says, okay, and she accepts this. Joseph is then visited by an angel who tells her, listen to Mary, she's not lying, okay, there's no other guy. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and he uh, submits as well and says, okay, if this is what God wants, then, then I'm going to marry this pregnant girl. I wonder if they thought God is going to take care of us because we submitted to his plan. Everything's going to go as planned. Everything's going to go well because we're in compliance with what God wanted. But can I tell you, that is not what happened at all. All of a sudden, they got this letter from the IRS saying uh, you, you owe extra taxes. They, they not only got the letter, they had to go pay in person. And not only that, they had to go to the man's uh, place of birth where his family was from to pay in person. This is like having to go to the dentist and the DMV in the exact same day, okay? This is a bad day. They had to travel, travel 70 miles. He had to travel with a nine-month pregnant wife. She was ready to give birth and travel 70 miles on the back of a donkey. Okay, I know what my, was, what my wife was like pregnant and she's not in here. She was an angel. Okay, that's what you say if she asks you what I'm about to say. But um, she would not have wanted to travel 70 miles on the back of a donkey. I can tell you that. And I can imagine them thinking, God, this, is, this was your idea. Like, we're doing everything you wanted us to do. Why is it now getting harder? Have you ever gone from bad to worse and said, God, what in the world is going on? I'm doing everything you called me to do. I'm exactly what you, what you, where you wanted me to be, and I've done nothing but listen to you, and now I find myself here? Because they did. They found out that their compliance was followed with chaos. Then they follow, you know, and they, and they come to this stable. And, and the, I think that, We've got to understand something about this. It can be frustrating. And, and they think, I'm sure they thought to themselves, God, you can't provide a room? You can't provide like one room at the Holiday Inn. Not one room at the Red Lion of the tribe of Judah. Come on, I mean God. Let's go. You're, you're God over the universe. We can't find a room. We've got to stay in this stable. Why has it gone from bad to worse? And I think it's because God sometimes prepares us for the blessing he wants to get us. But you're going to need humility to be able to properly handle it when he gets it to you. And so he takes you to some places that aren't comfortable and you can get discouraged, but you need to know that this chaos is actually teaching you and you cannot give up in the middle of the chaos. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come in the middle of chaos, even though you're right where God wants you. Another example would be Jonah in the scripture. He's running from God, and in the moment he submits to God, he's about to die. And for the first time in the story of Jonah, he's right where God wants him, and he gets swallowed by a fish. Come on, that's... Come on, God, what in the world? I'm finally listening. I'm going to do what you want, and now I'm swallowed by a fish. But at least he wasn't on the ocean floor, right? At least he, at least he didn't die in the ocean. And I think we need to understand you have to be resilient to do something for God. Some of us, we have passion, but we have no resiliency. And in the moment at church, at the altar, I feel the presence of God, and I'm on fire. I'm ready to do anything. But the first time a little issue hits me this week, I'm going to crumble and say, God, where are you? We have to be resilient. You see, maybe you, you prayed for three weeks, and then you gave up. Maybe you prayed for three minutes, and then you gave up. I don't know how resilient you are, but I need you to know to receive it from God, we have to be resilient. And I love you enough to tell you this morning, maybe you're not hungry. Maybe you're desperate, and God responds to hunger. He wants to see hungry people who are resilient to go through things, and he wants to see you push through. Don't give up. Be hungry for what God has for you. And so the, 
Another story in the scripture I think illustrates this well is, is Jacob. He, he runs into God and says, the Bible tells us he wrestled with God until the daybreak. And then God asks him, it, says, it, calls the, it calls him the angel of the Lord, which in the Old Testament it says the angel of the Lord. It's usually representing God or a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Before he was born into Mary's, into Mary's womb, he was in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. So God, Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and he says, and the angel of the Lord, he's, he says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And I think there's some Christians who need to know you're going to go through some wrestling matches, but we need some people that are going to hold on and say, you know what, I'm not going to go and let go until you bless me. And like Jacob, you walk away with a blessing because you did not let go, even though it didn't feel like it should be happening in the first place. You held on. Jacob left with a blessing, but he also left with a limp that says, you know what, now I'm going to lean on that time that I encountered God, and I'm not going to forget it. And I need some people in this place to say, you know what, God, even though I go through it and I'm going to have to wrestle, I'm going to continue to push through and I'm not going to let go. I need some Christians who can walk with a limp and say, I've been through some stuff, but I didn't give up. And my God did not finish with me even though I went through it. He was with me as I went through it. And I'm coming out of this thing with a blessing. You see, we all want to do exceptional things, but nobody wants to overcome exceptional odds. We want it easy, and that's not always how it happens. That's not the story we see in scriptures. We need some Jacobs who will say, yet though he, slay, or, though he slays me, yet will I praise him. Though I have to wrestle with God, and I don't always understand God, I'm not going to lay down. I'm going to continue and push through because I'm going to continue to fight and praise him and wrestle with my circumstances because I know he's with me in the fight. Mary and Joseph, they, they're in the midst of this chaos. They, chaos. they receive this blessing. They got gold, frankincense, and myrrh from these wise men who came to visit baby Jesus. This is the weirdest baby shower gift of all time. Can we just say that? frankincense? I mean, maybe gold, but for a baby? Like, come on, maybe a rattle or some clothes or something. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But you need to know that they, that scholars believe that this was actually a blessing that was financially able to support them in a season where they were in Egypt. They had to be hidden away for a time in Egypt, and the gold and frankincense and myrrh could have been sold to support them through that time. And so what you're going through now, they, if they had missed that, they wouldn't have had the blessing to go into the next season that they needed to if they hadn't listened to God and pushed through the chaos. And I need you to know you might be going through chaos, but there's a gift at the end of that chaos that if you don't stay in it and you give up, you'll never receive the blessing that God has for you for the next season. But you've got to submit in the middle of chaos. They could have missed it. And I think we, we get caught up and we want everything to be perfect. But I'm telling you, life is not that way, and it never will be that. You, you know why? The number one reason your life will never be perfect? Because you're in it, and you are not perfect, okay? And so your life will never be the perfection that you want it to be. And I think Mary and Joseph, they realized that, and they submitted to God even through the chaos. And, and I've realized by reading the story, this stable was terrible. But can I tell you, it was God hiding them away. Because if they had stayed in a hotel, they probably would have been found out and Herod would have found the baby Jesus and they never would have been able to do what God called them to do. But it took God hiding them away in chaos. And I don't know about you, but I've been through some seasons where God was hiding me away. 
and things didn't look right, and, and I made mistakes, and I was, he was hiding me away behind tears. He was hiding me away behind insecurities, by hard circumstances, by things I couldn't explain. And I'm telling somebody this morning, it's time for you to come out of hiding, that you're God's, that he's not finished with you yet, and you've gone through a season where, where you didn't feel good enough. But I'm telling you, God has been with you in that season, just like he was with Joseph in the prison, and just like he was with Joseph in the pit. And everywhere God, Joseph went, God went with him, even though the circumstances were right, he was hiding him away for another purpose. You're God's and he's not finished with you yet, even if he's been hiding you away. You see, another last thing about this point is I noticed as I read this story that because of the chaos, the shepherds were able to approach Jesus. You see, Mary and Joseph were, allow, were able to allow other people to be ministered to because they were listening to God. Even in the chaos, they could minister to other people. And I've been through some seasons where I thought I had no business ministering to anybody, and I felt down and out. But God used me even in those seasons where I felt like I wasn't worthy because it was never about me. It was about Jesus anyways. That's why I think maybe he told Moses, when Moses said, God, who can I tell them sent me? I'm Moses. I'm a murderer. I'm a stutterer. Who am I going to say sent me? And Jesus, I think God in that story didn't want Moses to think it was about him. So he said, tell him, it's not about you. It's about I am who sent you. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. And even in the midst of a chaotic situation, God can use it to bring ministry out of it. The last point this morning Point number five, if you're taking notes, is the trouble with Christmas is it's easy to bury the lead. It's easy to bury the lead. And this is a journalism term, and what it means is in journalism, when, they're write, when you're writing a story, you always put the most important information first. And then as the paragraphs go down, you get least, less and less important of a paragraph, just extra details as you go down. You know why they do this? Is because if they run out of room in the paper, they can cut the last paragraph and know they're not deleting any important information. And they, so they descend with the important information from top down. They don't hide the lead. If you hide the lead, it would get deleted right at the end. And this is opposite of like a person who writes a novel, because at the novel, you string people along, and you give them the most important information like on the last chapter. But not when you, not in journalism. They don't want to bury the lead. Um, the idea of burying the lead, it came from the Civil War because they didn't want to waste words because there was a risk of being cut off in the middle of communication. And so as they were giving words, they always gave the most important information first. Let me give you two different ways here to describe the same story of how a battle went. You could say, we lost 20,000 men. It was a terrible battle, but we ended up victorious. Or you could say, victorious. We won the battle, but had significant losses. Same story, but I didn't bury the lead the second time. Imagine it this way, okay? Your loved one is at the hospital for an emergency surgery. And you rush in, and, and the doctor comes out and tells you how the surgery went, and he says, oh, I'm, I don't know how to tell you this, but your loved one, they died. Three times we had to, to restart their heart on the surgery table. It was, oh, it was, it was terrible. You're like, oh, my gosh. Like, but don't worry. We revived them, and they're fine, okay? They made it through. Everything's good. What? Like, I'm going to slap a doctor who does that to me. You don't say it like that. Here's what you say. You say, your loved one is fine. They're fine. They're going to be okay. But we, they actually redline three times. You're like, okay, at least you told me first they're going to be okay. That means I don't have to slap you uh, for, for burying the lead because the main thing comes first. And can I tell you, it's very easy to bury the lead with Christmas. 
It's very easy to get caught up in uh, the trouble of the world and, oh, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And it's easy to say, oh, all these things are wrong with Christmas, but we could look at our, our world and say, oh, the economy. Oh, cancer. Oh, politics. Oh, it's just so bad. Or we can not bury the lead and say, you know what? Jesus is the lead of this Christmas and why he came is, is it's important to remember that Christmas is going to have a lot of trouble. But I need you to know this morning that Christmas is going to have trouble, of course, because it is not a holiday. It's a rescue mission. It's not a holiday, it's a rescue mission that God came to earth to rescue sinful and fallen humanity. It's like firemen, they have to chop down doors and use the jaws of life to rescue people. It's ugly, it's messy, there's trouble with it. Or when you think about lifeguards, they sometimes have to knock out the person they're trying to save so that the person doesn't drown them both because they're scared. Or CPR, oh, the trouble with CPR. They broke my ribs, oh, can you believe this? Of course, it's, there's going to be trouble, but can I tell you, it's a rescue mission, and that's going to involve trouble, and there might be trouble with Christmas, but I want to read you John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love that Jesus didn't bury the lead. He told us the lead of Christmas is peace, and that needs to be our headline this Christmas, that I can have peace in the midst of my chaos, that no matter what happens, God offers me peace that surpasses all understanding I'm not going to bury the lead you can put it up like that, that graphic up too and I want you to see this the P it represents presents that are often strangely wrapped E everyone's invited A it's awkward if you call yourself king compliance is rewarded with chaos and it's easy to bury the lead it is not peace that takes you away from trouble I'm talking about peace in the midst of your trouble that there is nothing that the enemy can do or your circumstances can do to throw your peace because my God is great than all that and I've already bowed my knee and said God you can have authority over every decision and every circumstance in my life I want to trust him this Christmas is there anybody with me that says I need peace this Christmas I can tell you we never had a generation so in need of peace as we have right now, riddled with anxiety and depression and worry about what circumstances hold. I want to see a breakthrough this morning for some people that says, you know what, I can have peace in the midst of my chaos because Jesus paid the price for my peace, that he came to restore everything the enemy had taken away from me. And this morning, I just believe we're going to see peace break out in your life like never before. Can I get the worship team to come up and help me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm just declaring in this place, God, every circumstance that has thrown our peace in 2018, or maybe in the month of December, all the things surrounding this holiday that did come with chaos, Lord, all the things in our family that have happened this year, or even this week, God, everything in our circumstances of our finances, and, and everything in our work uh, environment, God, I'm just asking right now, Lord, that the peace that surpasses all understanding would fill up our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm speaking about the person who's been losing sleep because they have no peace. I'm asking in the name of Jesus, let your Holy Spirit come into this place, God, because you still give peace that surpasses all understanding, that there's no reason that we should have peace, but there's a peace that's not 
that's not even based on a reason. It's just on the fact that Jesus Christ is in control of my life. Even in my chaos, I can look up and say, God, you have a purpose for this. You might be hiding me away in this season, but you're not finished with me yet. Even though I don't understand the wrapping, I believe there's a gift on the inside of this thing that I'm going through. There's victory in realizing that, and there's a peace in realizing that God is in control of what you're going through. Will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this morning, if you're here and there's just some circumstances in your life where you need to say, God, I need to get my peace back. I need your help. I need my peace back. Will you raise up your hands? Nobody looking around. I just want to see who I'm talking to this morning. Father, every hand raised, Lord. Every person in this place who, who should have raised their hand, God, but out of fear they didn't, Lord, I'm just asking right now, peace in the name of Jesus over every circumstance because you're God on the throne and you know every circumstance of their life from beginning to end and you are not worried, Lord. In the midst of a storm, they look at the face of their father and he has peace on their face. Let that peace overcome them, Lord, and let that peace take over their worry and their anxiety this morning that we're taking our peace back from the enemy, God, that you created us to live in peace, that no matter what, at the end of this thing, we're going to be with you, God. Let it be a ride of joy, Lord. Don't let the enemy steal our joy in this rest of this year in 2019, God. You're going with us, and wherever you go with us, Lord, we already have victory. I declare victory over every, every situation, every circumstance that's stolen your joy this year in Jesus' name. Father, we just ask this morning, Lord, that, that as we prepare to go, Lord, and, and as we prepare to, to worship you, God, and, and to spend our time with our families this week, Jesus, and just to remember we are, what you came to do. You came to save us. You came on a rescue mission, Jesus, that we'll be reminded that when, when every, every circumstance takes place, a family member who yells at us or causes us strife, God, we're going to remember that Christmas is surrounded by trouble, but it's so worth it, Jesus, that you came on a rescue mission, not for me only, but also for those family members that I'm having issues with. And God, I'm just asking this morning, Lord, that you would overwhelm us with your peace, before we leave here in Jesus' name. Come on, will you worship him for a couple minutes with me? If you need prayer this morning and, and you want prayer for peace, I want to ask the worship team to, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up and help me pray for you this morning before you leave. So you can come up at this time. Let's worship together for a couple minutes.